this morning is our last morning in the book of First Peter. We're going to conclude the chapter five, and which is also the end of the book this morning. Uh, so I don't know about you, but I've uh, really enjoyed working through First Peter uh, with you. We've looked at uh, just so many different things. We started in, in chapter one looking at the richness of our salvation, uh, the living hope that we have in Jesus. Um, we talked about the idea as, in moving into chapter two, because of this hope that we have, we should live a holy life here on this earth. Uh, a people set apart for our Savior. And as the people of God, we should practice submission. And uh, we talked about a, all, all kinds of different ways, submission to government, submission to masters or employers, submission uh, wives to husbands and what that looks like. Um, and then all throughout going th through the, the book, we kind of kept coming back towards this topic of suffering, that Jesus suffered and died for us and that uh, we too should be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ and how do we follow in his example. Uh, there's a continual reminder throughout the book that this earth that we live in is not our permanent home. We're just here for a short time compared to the time that we will spend in eternity. Um, and so with that in mind, we choose to live a life humbly before God, loving one another, serving one another, uh, sometimes suffering for his sake, knowing that the time here is short and uh, we will have eternity in heaven with him. So as we, um, as we have worked through that, we, we end up this morning in 1 Peter chapter 5 at verse 8. And I'm going to read those and then we'll look at them this morning. Uh, verse 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Res resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. Uh, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ. Heavenly Father, as we conclude this uh, letter that Peter wrote to uh, early believers scattered across uh, the country, we just uh, ask that you would just continue as you have, just open our eyes, that you would teach us, that you would give us understanding, uh, that we would be better prepared to uh, resist the, the attacks of Satan against us, uh, to stand firm in our faith, and to uh, live a life of humble service for you. And I just pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So the, 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 um, the, the challenge here to start this, this section is to be sober-minded and to be watchful, to be vi vigilant, to be on guard, to have our eyes open. Uh, to be sober-minded is not to be all excited, run around like a chicken with our heads cut off, uh, but to be even-keeled, to be calm, to think rationally about this, um, to, to, to know what we're getting ourselves into almost. And I, it reminds me of when uh, Sarah and I were first married. We were, we were both 21 when we got married. So, you know, young and dumb in regards to some things. 
but we were renting an upstairs apartment from, a, from an older couple. And it was, a, it was an old home, and old enough that the, the light switches upstairs were the push button switches. Some of you remember those? Two little buttons that would, you know, the, you push the top one in and the bottom one comes out. And you, so the, the switch stopped working. And so I told the landlord, and a few days later, he, maybe the next day, I don't know, he's a pretty good landlord. He bought a replica of the same old style push button switch. And he gave it to me. He said, let me know when you're putting it in and I'll give you a hand. He said, you, he was going to do it. I said, no, I could do that. Two wires, not even three wires, right? Just two wires. Uh, it was an old house. So um, like a young and dumb 21-year-old, I just got a screwdriver. I took the cover off. I started to pull that thing out. And uh, Joe's an electrician. What happened to me, Joe? I felt 120 volts cor- coursing through my body, right? Um, and so... I, I went back downstairs to him and I said, hey, I was thinking about doing that light switch. He said, well, you need to make sure you get the power turned off first. Let me turn it off for you. I said, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> so I had a, a, a friend at, at church. He was an older gentleman, handyman, did all kinds of things. And uh, I, you know, I told him what I did. He said, oh, I work on changing a light switch. I never turn the power off for that. I'm like, what? And he said something. I think he was, you know how you can be right and wrong at the same time? He said, if you don't know what you're doing enough to work on it with the power on, you shouldn't be working with it with the power off either. So I think you should still turn the power off if you're going to work on electrical switches, lights, all those things. But he was right in the sense that if I don't know what's going on enough to, to what's going to be hot, what I should touch and what I shouldn't touch. I probably shouldn't be messing around with it. And so as we start this morning into this passage, uh, Peter says that we are uh, to be sober-minded and watchful because our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so we want to talk a little bit this morning about who is Satan, who is the devil, so that we're not unaware uh, because we do encounter uh, resistance to our faith. We're, it's, we're told here that we are to uh, be firm in our faith, uh, but why do we have to do that? Because we have an adversary. So um, Satan's characterized in, in many ways in, in the scripture, uh, never as uh, someone in a red spandex suit with some ears and a tail and a pitchfork though. Um, but he is described um, as an adversary. He's a real person mentioned in, I think, seven Old Testament books. Every single New Testament writer writes about him, who mentions him. Um, we know that Satan and the angels are, were created beings. Um, Colossians 1 verse 16 says, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Satan is a created being. He's not just, there's not just a force or a, a presence. Uh, he, the Bible teaches that Satan is real. But as a created being, Satan has limitations. He doesn't have the omni characteristics that God has. We're going to look at that in a minute. Uh, but Satan and the angels that eventually followed him was created without sin. And we know that because in Genesis uh, chapter one says, God saw everything that he had made. 
which would include the visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. He, he, he saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So somewhere between uh, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3, when Satan shows up in the form of a serpent to tempt Adam and Eve, uh, Satan chooses to rebel against God. Um, And so uh, most scholars would agree that Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28 uh, probably have a double meaning, talking about an earthly king in Isaiah uh, would be the king of Babylon and in Ezekiel the king of Tyre, but also referencing the fall of Satan. So we're going to look at that just real quick. So again, we, we know what we're dealing with. Ezekiel 28, starting in verse 13, says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every kind of precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, um, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald. Your mountings and settings were crafted in gold, prepared on the day of your creation. It's a created being. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for I had ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. From the day you were created, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you. By the vastness of your trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mountain of God and I banished you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. And this is, here's, here's the sin. Your heart grew proud of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I cast you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. We talked about the danger of pride last week. One of, the, one of the things that the Bible says God hates is pride, probably because Satan in his pride brought sin into the world. And so um, Isaiah chapter 14 describes this pride a little bit more. Uh, verses 12, 12 says, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the ground, O destroyer of nations. Talking again about the king of Tyre, but also alluding to Satan. Now listen to these things that Satan said, these I will statements that Satan made. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Satan was no longer content to worship God. He wanted to be like God. He wanted uh, to be the one who was being worshiped. And so in his pride, he wanted to be exalted. In his pride, he wanted to be lifted up. In his pride, he wanted to uh, take the place of God or at least be equal to God. He wanted to be the ruler. He wanted to uh, have people honor and glorify him in a way that only God deserves. And so in his pride... Satan brought sin into the world. And of course he went, um, God wouldn't have anything of it. He cast Satan from heaven. The Bible would say uh, that he probably took about a third of the angels with him in the, in the rebellion, but he was cast from heaven. And in Genesis chapter three, we see him going straight to work with Adam and Eve, causing them to doubt what God had told them. Uh, really by that doubt then instilling a sense of of pride in Adam and Eve too. You could be like God. God doesn't doesn't want you to know what he knows, but if you eat this fruit 
And so he tempted them, and in that pride they fell as well. So lots of descriptions uh, for Satan. He came to Adam and Eve as a serpent. The Bible calls him the devil, which is translated a slanderer or accuser. Uh, He's described as an angel of light, as a tormentor, our adversary, a deceiver, a liar, the tempter, and here in 1 Peter as a roaring lion. Uh, Doesn't look like a friend. Doesn't sound like a friend, except maybe when he's pretending like he's an angel of light. So Peter describes Satan as a lion, seeking someone who he could devour. What does the lion want? The lion's the top of the food chain, which is an apt description for Satan. That's what he wanted to be. He wanted to ascend to the same level of of, um, dominion as what only God is able to have. So the lion's dangerous, especially because they they hunt in a in a group, and they just they're hungry, and they'll they'll uh, a, a pride I think of lions what they call it could take down an elephant, you know. So a lion's a huge animal, but an elephant is massive. But together, a lion could take down a full-grown elephant. Of course, the lion's smart too. It's not going to go for an elephant if there is a. Uh, a weak or a young or an isolated animal that it could take on. In this way, Satan's very much like a lion. He loves to see us isolated. He loves it when you say, uh, I don't think I'm going to come to church this week, and then it ends, then it's the next week, and then it's the next week, and then you're kind of out there on your own, vulnerable. John 8 verse 44 describes Satan this way. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is, the, he is a liar and the father of lies. The things that Satan tells us to convince us, and sometimes we don't even need him to, to tell us a lie, we, we can convince ourselves, uh, but they are not true things because his desire is to destroy us. Or as Peter says, like a lion would devour us. Not someone we want to mess around with. Not someone we want, we want to be unaware of. But Satan does have his limitations. He is not equal to God. His desire was to be equal to God and God cast him out of heaven. So he is not equal to God. And so uh, well, three attributes that belong to God alone. God is omnipresent, which just means he's everywhere all the time. Uh, And sometimes we think that, you know, every one of us has Satan whispering into our ear. There's one Satan, and there's how many billion people on this earth? He is not all whispering to us at the same time. He is not everywhere in the same way that God is. God is everywhere, though. Jeremiah 23, 34 says, uh, this is God speaking, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Do I not fill heaven and earth? God is everywhere. Uh, Of course, the psalmist understood this and wrote in Psalm 139, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle by the farthest sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God is with us. As a believer, he's with us all the time. His presence is with us, but God is everywhere. And of course, Satan is not. We see in in Job, we see, read Job chapter one, uh, really interesting interaction between God and Satan. But God said to Satan, um, 
uh, one day when, when Satan showed up when, uh, in, in front of the Lord, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Right? He wasn't everywhere all the time. He went back and forth in different places. He, 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 does, he, he does and he can go everywhere, um, but he's not everywhere all the time. He is in a certain place at a certain time. Now, he does have this army of fallen angels with him that, that do his bidding as well, but he's not everywhere. Uh, in addition to these fallen angels, we're going to talk about in a minute, Satan has created a world system that is also working against us as believers. But God is also, he's uh, omnipresent, he's also omnipotent, which means all-powerful. God can do anything as long as it doesn't violate his character. For example, God's not going to lie. That would violate who God is. And scripture Um, would even say that God is not a liar. Jeremiah 32, verse 17 says, Ah, the Lord, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Who could make this world by just just speaking? You would have to be all-powerful to do that. The verse concludes, Nothing is too hard for you. God just spoke things into being. Let there be. And we had the heavens. We had the earth. We had man, we had the living creatures. All by just the spoken word, displaying the power of God. And again, if you were to go back to uh, the book of Job and look at this interaction between Job and God, Job has to, or, or excuse me, between Satan and God, Satan couldn't touch Job without the Lord's permission. He's not all powerful. He cannot do anything he wants anytime he wants to do it. He is limited to what God allows him to do. God is also omniscient, all-knowing. God knows everything. You know, he knows what each one of us is thinking. Right now, what you're thinking about me, what you're thinking about this message, what you're thinking about when you're going to do later this afternoon. God knows it all. Um, 1 John 3, verse 20 says, whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. In 1 Kings, it says of God, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind. Of course, Satan doesn't know everything. He doesn't know what we're thinking. He doesn't know uh, where we're going this afternoon. He's, he, he is very perceptive, and he's, he's studied humans for a long time, so he picks things up, but he is not all-knowing. It says, only you, speaking of God, knows the hearts of all mankind. Satan doesn't know what we're thinking. He is not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He's not uh, ever-present. Those are attributes that only God holds on to. So what is Satan's limitations? He's in one place at one time. He has an army of, of demons or fallen angels that do his bidding. Uh, He's created a world system that he rules over. In in Ephesians, when it's talking about putting on the armor of God to do battle with Satan, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, or your translation might say the wiles of the devil, the strategies of the devil, the methods, the the deceit and trickery that he uses. Um, We need to be able to stand against it. But he's not everywhere. He doesn't have unlimited demons everywhere. But he has created a world system that works against us. 1 John chapter 2, 15 and 17. 
Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So what does, it, what does that mean, don't love the world? Don't love the earth that God created? No, I don't think it means that. Um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, don't love the people of the world? No, God says we should love the people. Um, a, a guy named James uh, Rockford gives this definition. When, when, uh, when John writes, do not love the world, don't love this cosmetically beautiful and orderly system that val- values temporal or transitory pleasures, distracting us from the love and values of God. This is the world system that, God, that Satan has created. Uh, it's, it looks good, it's orderly, but it's all about the here and now. How can I satisfy myself? Uh, how can I enjoy the now? How can I uh, take care of, of me, me first? Uh, it looks good, it sounds good, it sounds like uh, it's self-preservation, but it distracts us from the love and values of God. Uh, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, some of these things are coming from within us. The desires of the flesh, the things that are going to make me happy, the desires of the eyes, the things that I see and wish that I could have, and the pride of life, this idea that it's me first, I'm going to take care of me and you can take care of you and hopefully you do all right, but I'm just going to be worried about, about me and, and my family. These, these things um, are of the world, the thinking like that is of the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God remains forever. So our instruction as we read this passage is to resist the devil. He's our adversary. He's prowling around like a a roaring lion, seeking he could devour either personally, either by his demons, or just this world system that distracts us, that uh, gives us this me-first mentality that says we don't need God. It, it, It eats us up. It devours us. It consumes us. And so this is what we are to resist. And I think, I think it's fair to say we are to resist all three of those things. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, it says resist the devil. It didn't say to resist all those things. Well, we would say something like this. Um, Bush went to war against Iraq. Now, do we mean that President Bush got a, a rifle and he flew over on a plane and he went to the front line and he, was at, he went to war that way? Well, no, we mean that he had generals, that he had soldiers, that he had uh, equipment, that he had army bases, and as a country, we went to war. We say, well, Bush went to war against Iraq, but it was more than just him out there. And so when it says that we are to resist the devil, I think we, we could say it's to resist the devil, to resist his, his demons, to resist this world order that he has created, because it's all working against our faith. Uh, and James chapter 4 has, has almost a parallel passage. We talked about uh, pride and humility last week, and uh, James talks about pride and humility and talks about resisting the devil in the same passage. So let's read that uh, together. James 4, 4 through 10. You adulterous people, and reading this helps us to see how we are to resist and how we are to be firm in our faith. You adulterous people, you, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Friendship with this world system that looks really good, that, that really looks like we're trying to preserve ourselves and take care of our families, but really it's all about us and it's not about God. 
Friendship with that kind of thinking is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, and this is what Peter quoted as well, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. See the, the parallel thinking between Peter and John. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. This should be our attitude towards sin in our lives. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So I think that we see in this passage in James, we see what uh, Peter is telling us. The first step to resisting the devil is to humble ourselves before the, before the Lord, to live, be living a holy, uh, holy life and righteously before God. When, if we are saying yes to God, inevitably we are saying no to what Satan would want for us. So as we humble ourselves, then we are... Um, in, in James, Peter saying, look, in order to humble yourselves, you've got to confess. You have to confess your sin. You admit where you're wrong and you humble yourself before God. Let him be the one that will exalt you. And this is the first step to resisting the devil, which is a little bit interesting. We resist the devil by saying, humbling ourselves, admitting where we're wrong, admitting that we need help, admitting that we need the power of God in our lives, and this is the first step to resisting the devil. In Ephesians chapter six, when, when Paul's talking about putting on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the, bless, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, um, these are all encompassed and accomplished by holy living, by living, by doing what is right, living submitted and humbly before God. And then at the end of the section there that uh, Paul's writing in Ephesians, he mentions, uh, we say there's only one weapon and it's the sword, but it's, I, I, when I read it, I see a second weapon and that would be prayer. Uh, the sword of the spirit is the word of God, the, the, the passage says. And we see when Jesus was tempted by Satan, we, we see an interaction between Jesus and Satan after Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, being tempted by Satan the whole time. At the end of those 40 days, we see three temptations that uh, Satan gives to Jesus. He offered him food, he offered him the kingdoms of the world, and he offered uh, to put God to the test. Jump off this cliff and just see if your God will save you. Jesus didn't argue with him, he didn't reason with him. There's, there's a place for reasoning among uh, believers and unbelievers, but with Satan, what did Jesus do? He gave him the truth from scripture. He, he took what Satan was saying, he said, I'm not even going to mess, I'm not going to argue, I'm not going to debate, I am going to give you God's word that speaks to this situation. And this is a good practice for all of us. And I, I mentioned a minute ago, we don't even need Satan to try and convince us to do what is wrong. It, it's within us, it's the, it's the pride of life, the, the, um, what, what James was, was saying here um, that we just read or excuse me, not what James, in 1 John chapter two, 
the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. It's within us just to convince ourselves to do the wrong thing. But then we have Satan that will try to convince us as well. We have this world system that is constantly telling us essentially to do the opposite of what the Bible says. It's not about loving others, it's not about serving others, it's about taking care of yourself. And it is contrary to God's will. So what does the scripture say? When we're, when we are, um, when we're misguided, when we're trying to convince ourselves that something's okay, we're, we're trying to justify our actions, what do the scriptures say? This is a key to resisting the devil. It's a key to standing firm in our faith. And finally, uh, the last key is to pray. Maybe not the last key, but a third key would be to pray. And in Ephesians, it says in this passage on spiritual warfare that we should be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Pray to the Lord for the situation you're in. That's why we pray for each other because um, we're not able to do it. But the power of God working in us, we can resist the devil, we can stand firm in our faith. We can resist the world system that's working against us and stand firm in our faith. Um, one of the reasons we pray in Jesus' name is because when we look at uh, the, the book of Matthew and Jesus sends out the 72 uh, to heal and to preach about the kingdom of God, they returned and they were full of joy and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in the name of Jesus. When we pray in Jesus, there's power in the name of Jesus. We sing that song because it's the biblical truth. In the name, in the name of Jesus. In, in, when I say, um, nobody's praying in the name of Jeff. You know, I don't pray and say, because I, because I said it, it it's going to happen. You know, let me, let me pray for you, Bill. Uh, I've, got, I've got a special blessing I can put on your life. No, we're, we're, we're calling on the name of Jesus. When we pray for a blessing, it's, it's through the name of Jesus, through the power of Jesus. And, and this is how we resist the devil. We pray that God's presence would work in us and through us um, to resist, to stand firm in our faith. We humble ourselves, we submit to God, we know what the word says and we apply it to our lives. That's resisting the devil, that's standing firm in our faith. And we pray in Jesus' name. And you say, well, you know, Pastor Jeff, you know, there's gotta be like a, you know, what if I sense that there's a, a, a demon against me? You know, what? And, and there, might be, there might be times in our lives, and I believe that there are, where, where they're, they're, we deal with a demonic force. And, I, and I've talked with some of you about that before. But most of the time, resisting the devil, standing firm in the faith, is living a holy and righteous life according to God's word. Praying in Jesus' name, knowing that we can't do it on ourselves, humbling ourselves before God so that he will exalt us. So verse nine says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I think that's why Paul wrote in Ephesians that we pray for perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. It's not just you that's having a difficult time resisting the devil, resisting temptation, standing firm in your faith. It's something that we all deal with. We pray for one another. We humble ourselves before God. And look at this result in verse 10. 
After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, it's God that will do it. God who's full of grace, never runs out of grace. He's the one that's, that's called us to eternal life. He's the one that sustains us when we, uh, when we are being tempted, when we are being distracted, when we are being pulled down. And it says that he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Every hurt, every wound, every set, setback that we have because of the name of Jesus will be restored. Our position before God and Jesus will be confirmed. When we pray in Jesus' name, he, he comes and he works on our behalf. The certainty of our salvation will be confirmed when we stand firm in our faith. Every weakness, every shortcoming, all the, the weariness and, and all those times that we want to give up will be gone because Jesus will strengthen us. Peter, in, in, in the first chapter, talked about the inheritance that we are looking forward to, uh, the hope that we're looking forward to. It's undefiled, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven. He will establish us in that inheritance forever. And so when it says that he will uh, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish, we experience that at times and to some degree here on this earth, but we will experience that completely and forever when the Lord returns or he calls us home and we're with him in eternity forever. So Satan may temporarily have uh, authority and dominion over this earth. He may temporarily uh, be able to, to accomplish some things that he has set out to do, but we know how the story ends. And it says uh, in verse 11, to him or to Jesus be the dominion forever and ever, amen. Satan may rule this world, the scripture even tells us that Satan's the ruler of this age, but he can only do what God allows him to do, and we know that in the end, he will be defeated, that when we resist him and stand firm in the faith, it's not us defeating him, it's not us combating him, but God working through us, uh, it is possible to resist the devil to stand firm in our faith. Verse 12, we're just getting into the concluding thoughts here. Peter says, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. And I was thinking about what we've been studying and how this is God's grace. We are saved by God's grace alone. He gives us grace, he gives us favor when we choose to live a holy and righteous life. These are some of the things that we've looked at. He gives us grace, he give, which is favor when we humbly submit to one another. He gives us grace when we choose to love one another. He gives us grace when we choose to make hard decisions to suffer for the sake of Christ, following his example. He gives us grace when we choose to live our lives according to the will of God. He opposes us in our pride and gives us grace when we humble ourselves before him. He gives, us, he gives us grace when we say, Lord, not your will be done, not, not my will be done, but yours, when we humble ourselves and put our lives in his hand. He concludes with, greet one another with the kiss of love. 
we're getting closer and closer to when we're going to be hugging each other and, uh, you know, shaking hands and being all on top of each other. We're getting there soon. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. I hope that as we've looked at this book, we've been encouraged that God's grace comes to us in our time of need. It's not for those who oppose him, who want to live according to the world system, who wants to, to live a me first, take care of myself first, and maybe everyone else next. But when we humbly submit to him, when we humbly love one another, when we humbly choose to live according to the scripture, then his grace is there for us and his grace carries us through. Why don't we close this morning in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your, your grace in our, in our lives. Uh, Lord, as we think about uh, our adversary, the devil, uh, and probably not him whispering in our ear personally, but maybe it's one of his demons or maybe it's uh, the world system that convinces us of, uh, that wrong is right and right is wrong. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would resist those things, that we would stand firm in our faith, that we would, first of all, humble ourselves before you, that we would know what your word says and apply it to the situations that we find ourselves each and every day, and that we would pray, Lord, that we would pray in the name of Jesus because there's power in the name of Jesus for uh, for you to work in our lives first, but also to work in the lives of of our families, of this church. Uh, Lord, we, want, we don't want to uh, be opposed to you. We want to humble ourselves and, and allow you to lift us up as you deem fit, Lord. Uh, Lord, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you that you see us through every situation. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would live our lives humbly before you. Uh, Lord, that we might experience your grace and your love flowing through us and that you would use us to, to minister to those that you've called us to. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.